Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. through this glorious book over the, the coming weeks and months. Um, we're just going to start, though, this week with the first four verses, perhaps an introduction uh, to the book. Now, unlike other letters, uh, perhaps this is more like a sermon, the writer goes straight in. So let's listen uh, to God's words to us. Long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Amen. I would you take up your Bibles again and turn back to Hebrews chapter 1. God has spoken. Three massive, life-changing words. And yet, I wonder if our society thinks that's probably one of the most irrelevant things I could have said this evening. God has spoken, like, like who cares? Uh, Ever since the Enlightenment, perhaps we swim in waters where God, if he exists at all, he's totally inaccessible, so we might as well just ignore him. And actually, more and more, we've discovered our own voice, our own way of doing things. Who cares if God speaks? I speak. That's what matters now. Truth is mine to create. Life is mine to determine. I have spoken. You might not just think it irrelevant to say God has spoken, but actually hateful. Don't don't give me some outsider's voice. It's the inner voice. That's the only word that matters. But as Christians, we we know that's not right. It's not the right picture. Yes, God has given us intuition and conscience and, and desires and dreams, but actually just following the human voice, well, it's led to disaster, hasn't it? In our In our limited state, we struggle to grasp anything spiritual, anything bigger than ourselves, the eternal, all-powerful. We've made trees gods, we've made statues gods, we've made money and power gods. In the end, we've just kind of stopped even engaging with the idea of God. You know, the more we listen to our inner voice, the more shallow we've become, more limited. And then also in our sinful state, well, the voice that comes out from within, it's often like a polluted river, isn't it? It can pour out kind of a, a filthy stench, like a sewer. 
a self-centered tirade that although has some moments, moments of something palatable, on the whole can make things worse than better. We end up being the blind, leading the blind. And and God's mercy, he doesn't let us completely destroy ourselves, but as we reject him and, and only listen to ourselves, it has gone badly wrong. We are finite, we're blind, we're darkened, sinful, self-focused, we're lost. So rather than God's speech being irrelevant, it's exactly what we need, isn't it? We need a voice outside of us. We need a voice of truth. We need God to speak. And the glorious truth we're going to dwell on this evening is this. He has. God has spoken. It's right there in verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. And then again in verse 2, in these last days, He has spoken to us. God has spoken. Isn't that incredible? Just think about that for a moment. The creator of the universe, the, the eternal, the infinite, glorious, holy one, has spoken. He's condescended to us. He's made himself known. He's crossed the gap, the extraordinary gap, between the infinite God and finite humanity, between creator and creature, between inexpressible light and darkness. God has spoken. Instead of being like people fumbling around in a, in a pitch black cave left to flounder, a light has shone in. The light has shone in to show us what's real, what's true, what's beautiful, what it means to be a, a human being and a, a living in God's world. It's a glorious truth. But how? How has he spoken to us? Well, it depends on when we're talking about. In these few verses, there's, there's two different time zones in a sense. Do you notice there's long ago in verse 1, the, the old days I suppose, and then there's, there's now, there are these last days in verse 2. And the writer wants us to understand the difference. So the first big idea is this, God has spoken and there's contrast and continuity. Contrast and continuity. And first of all, he highlights for us the contrast, the old days. Well, the way God spoke then was more piecemeal. Did you see that? Verse 1, he spoke in many times, in many ways, like a bit then and a bit more there. Now, what's the writer talking about? Well, he's, he's talking about how the Old Testament in our Bibles came about. It's to our fathers. That's the Jewish people before Jesus came. And it's by the prophets. That's some people that God chose to speak by. God spoke through Moses as Moses wrote down what he saw and heard. He spoke through Joseph and Daniel by dreams. He spoke through David in songs. He spoke through Ezekiel in in words and pictures. He spoke through Isaiah in visions and and speeches and actions. God spoke all right. The, The Jews were the receivers of the oracles of God himself. You know, in the sea of different gods and worldviews, the living creator God had chosen to speak to this small nation. That was the old days. That was then. But not anymore, not in these last days. Here's the contrast. Verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. 
Do you know that who it's to has changed? Rather than just to our fathers, it's now to us. And how he's spoken has changed. Instead of loads of kind of snippets in this piecemeal kind of way over a long period of time, it's singular. It's one way, one time, because it's in one person. It's by his Son. And the fullness, do you notice that the fullness of what he says has reached its pinnacle? Being the Son, well, there's something climactic about it. It's the crowning moment. This isn't God revealing himself through mere prophets anymore. It's his Son. This is the big moment. The writer is saying, this is the glorious speech of God. God has now spoken by his Son. Yes, he spoke before, but now. It's amazing. This is wonderful. It's a one-time, one-way, extraordinary climactic speech to humanity by his Son to us. Now, before we get into the wonder of God speaking through his Son, what does this shift mean for the old days? For all that God had said then. And if the Old Testament is God speaking to our fathers by the prophets in a piecemeal kind of way, and if now God's spoken in a, in a new and better way, surely that just means we, we just get rid of the old, don't we? And it should be a bit like a smartphone. You know, when you get a new one, you don't keep hold of the old, do you? You just chuck it and enjoy the new. It's a complete replacement. Is that what we should do with the Old Testament? Well, as we're going to see as we dive into this book of Hebrews, that is definitely not what God wants us to do. Yes, how he speaks has changed. And yes, the fullness is greater because it's in his son. But what was said then is still vital for us. Because there's not just contrast, there's also continuity. Things continue. Even in these verses... The writer's whole way of understanding the Son and and the present is through the lens of the Old Testament. He just just using that phrase, uh, these last days, that's a phrase from the Old Testament. Then to speak of the Son inheriting or making purification for sins or sitting at the right hand of God, these are all Old Testament ideas. So rather than thinking of it like a a new phone, think of it instead like a, a blossoming flower. Think of it, perhaps the Old Testament was the seed of God's speech, shooting and and growing, all on the same trajectory, heading towards the glorious, colourful, unfurling of the pinnacle of his speech, his son. Genesis is the seed being sown, and then the Pentateuch and the judges, the plant growing, and then the the kings come as it fills out and grows taller, the exiles, the prophets. It's it's the beginning of springtime in a sense. And then the beautiful flower appears with Jesus Christ. Rather than getting rid of the Old Testament, the sun comes as the flowering of the Old Testament. The fulfillment of it all, there's continuity. to, To actually understand the sun, we need the Old Testament. Just look at the next few verses in chapter 1. We've got seven quotations from the Old Testament all about the Son. We don't get rid of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is what shows us the wonder of the new. It's God paving the way. It's the Son, in a sense, leading us by the hands towards his arrival. To use Paul's imagery, it's, it's like a school teacher teaching us the building blocks. There's contrast, but there's continuity. God has spoken. His word to us is one because he is one. It's a single whole. It's all pointing to. It's all fulfilled by. It's all illuminating. 
the sun. But as we focus on the whole, we mustn't forget the parts, even though it's all the same overarching way of grace to God. The writer of this letter is clearly showing us there is a contrast. There are two different eras. There is then and now, long ago in these last days. So he's showing us there's more going on. Right? There's, a, there's a complexity to reading the Bible. And Hebrews is going to teach us how to read the Old Testament rightly as we go through. We have to, to read and understand the Old Testament in, in kind of in conversation with the new. We understand what's come before in light of the crowning moment of it all, the sun. And we understand the sun as we read the development of the old. That means the writer is going to take some parts of the Old Testament and he's going to let them shine on now more directly, whether it's about the, the sun himself or whether it's uh, when our lives are similar to that of the Old Testament. In Christ, some aspects of the Old Testament aren't diminished, but the opposite, they're heightened. We'll see this next week. If, if God held people to account uh, when they heard him through angels, how much more when we've heard through the sun? It's heightened. But other areas, he's going to show us how they're, they're now obsolete because of how Christ has fulfilled them, how he's come, how that old era, that, that old way of speech, that old covenant, it shows us wonderful things about Christ, the nature of God's grace. We learn from it, but we don't do all the things they did, especially in terms of worship, like having priests in a temple, giving animal sacrifices. All that has gone because the new has come and has fulfilled it. So Christians, we receive the Old Testament. We receive it as God's speech. But we receive it knowing that Jesus has come. There's contrast and there's continuity. So I pray this, this book of Hebrews would ignite our love for the Old Testament because of the way the Old Testament points us to the Son, to Jesus. Like those disciples on the, the road to Emmaus who said this, did not our heart burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up to us the scriptures. Oh, may our hearts burn within us as we hear the Son through God's word in the scriptures. But that leaves us, though, with the question, well, what's so great about God speaking through his Son? So first we've heard God has spoken, there's contrast and, and continuity, but second we need to hear that God has spoken and it's the crowning moment. It's the crowning moment. Okay, ma imagine with me uh, for a moment being part of the, of the science world. This may be easier for some of us than others. And, and, and during your studies, uh, people start talking about someone coming out with a new discovery. Okay, it's exciting, but it, it's all rumors. And then, and then a name starts cropping up in speech. And, and then a, a single paper is published in a journal. Now, people don't know the scientists, but they're excited by their work. And then a, a short video comes out online from the scientists. Then a, another professor starts actually digging into it and starting to explain some of this theory. More and more bits are being pieced together. Yes, it's piecemeal. It's, it's here and it's there, but it's exciting. It's, it's kind of a world-changing theory about to erupt. And then suddenly there's news. The scientist is going to do a, a full-on press conference, three full lectures, full briefing notes, in person with, with time for Q&A. 
It's what everyone's been waiting for. The, the, the full-on disclosure of the theory and the person behind it. It's, the scientific world is pumped. They're like, this is it. And, it. and it's that kind of buzz, that kind of excitement behind these words. He has spoken to us by his Son. After all that's come before, the true, total, crowning moment has come. The full revelation, God in person. And just in these couple of verses, the writer begins to open up how big this is. He's actually going to spend a lot of the book doing that. And he, and he kind of takes us, does it by taking us up a mountain and then down the other side. He kind of starts and ends these couple of verses by showing us the sun in the world. And then kind of as he moves up the mountain, both up one end and down the other side, it's moving inwards and upwards. He speaks of the the sun before the world. And then in the middle, in the middle of it all, he reaches the top of the mountain by showing us the nature of the sun and God himself. So first, in, in the valleys in a sense, the sun in the world, well, he's the an- God's anticipated Christ. That's what he's showing us. He's God's anticipated Christ. The, the sun is the one the world has been waiting for. The one God's people had known about. Verse 2. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. He's appointed the heir of all things. And if that's true, well, he's, he's come to fulfill Adam's role, hasn't he? Adam was to inherit the whole world and yet failed. But he's also come to fulfill the son of David's role. In Psalm 2, the son of God's to inherit the nations. Well, if that's what's anticipated, does it happen? We'll end of verse 3, after making purification for sins, what does he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After he completes the Christ's suffering role, he ascends on high. He's the, the priest and the king of Psalm 110. God has spoken through his anticipated Christ, the the son in the world. A human being has come, a human who is one of us, yes, but he's over us. He's the heir of all things, he's the king of the universe. God has spoken to us, he's shown us where this is all heading. The son is going to inherit the earth. He's shown us how he's done it through a priest who purifies us, through a king who reigns over us. In the midst of it all, he's, he's shown us real humanity. Jesus is a man who does all that humans were meant to do and fulfills all that we were meant to fulfill. The son in the world. He's, he's God's anticipated Christ. But that is not all. No, that's not all. If, if, if that was the son in the world, he's the son before the world. The son before the world. He's the agent of creation, verse 2, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Through whom also he created the world. The one who's to inherit all things is the one through whom all things were brought into existence. He pre-exists the world. He's before it. He's God's agent of creation. And then the middle of verse 3, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So not only was everything created through him, it's all upheld by him. This is no ordinary person, is it? The earth is spinning right now because he keeps it 
spinning. Gravity keeps on working through the, the laws of, a, of the effects of mass and distance because he upholds the laws. Now, this is why Christians were amongst the first scientists. They realized if the, the sun upholds the universe, well, that means there will be a consistency to it. So if I do an experiment today, and then when I do it tomorrow in the same conditions, the results are going to be the same. You know, science relies on this fundamental assumption that the, the laws of nature are going to stay the same. Without it, you can't do science because you, you don't know if anything will be the same tomorrow. But we do know because the sun upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is mind-blowing stuff, isn't it? That, that God has spoken through his son and through his son the world began. Through his son the world keeps turning. This isn't some second-rate prophet, is it? This is God's agent of creation. This is someone of extraordinary power and might. Everything begins and ends with him. Everything only makes sense through him. We are not just in a world of matter and chance heading on some random trajectory. The sun shows us that. The sun before the world, he's, the, he's God's agent of creation. But even if that's true, what about God himself? How do we know God? Can the sun do that? Well, this is when we reach the top of the mountain. This is when we get the, the view of all views. Because the sun and God, he's God's personal and perfect revelation. We've moved from the sun in the world the sun before the world, but now we see the closeness of sun, the sun to God himself, and he's God's personal, perfect revelation. Verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. What's the glory of God? Well, it's the, the manifestation of all that, who God is, of his character, and if the sun is the radiance of his glory, well, that means he's the perfect revelation of God. You, you can't get a closer fit or match. It's like the sunshine showing us what the sun is like. Those rays of warmth and light are the radiance of the sun. They come from the sun. They are the sun. There's this utter unity between them. We see that total match in the next phrase as well, the exact imprint of his nature it's like a marking of a stamp on a piece of paper. You know, there's an exact match, isn't there, between the surface of the stamp and what comes off on the paper. It's, it's the perfect representation of another. Like the perfect picture, the exact imprint. To see the sun is to see God. To hear the sun is to hear God. The sun is God. But also there's a distinction do you notice that the sun is the exact imprint of his nature? There's another. There's the sun, and presumably here, there's the father. They are distinct, and yet they're one. Here's the, the doctrine of the Trinity, but in different words. Here's the, the glorious mystery that the, the son of God is God, and the father is God, but the father and son are distinct. The son is not the father, and the father is not the son. But what this means is that the Son is the perfect personal revelation of God. It's like that scientist turning up in person. God has shown up in the ultimate way possible. The Son has come. We cannot get a better view of God. 
Moses got to see God's back. We get to hear the sun. Isaiah saw the train of God's robe. We get to hear the sun. I wonder in verse 4 the writer says he's superior to the angels. Of course he is. He's the sun. God has spoken. It's the crowning moment. His anticipated Christ, his agent of creation, his personal and perfect revelation. That's why we believe God's full revelation of himself is complete. We're not expecting God to show us something new about himself. Because he can't. He's spoken to us by his son. That's why we don't have the book of Quran, uh, the Quran sitting before us, or the book of Mormon, or the Christian Science textbook. God has spoken by His Son. It's full. It's perfect. It can't get any better than this. Now, yes, we we hear and see in part, but that's about seeing the depths of what God said. Not about there being a greater breadth or new things. In the future, we'll see more fully, not new stuff. God has spoken in the most personal way possible to finite sinful humanity. He's spoken by his son, Jesus Christ. It's the crowning moment. The supreme being of the universe has given us one who's the radiance of his glory. If that's true, then he's the one who created the world. He's the one who upholds it, and so he's the one to live in the world. He's the one to die in it and rise and inherit it. We hear God in Jesus Christ, the, the, the Old Testament pointing to him, and then the, the New Testament, his chosen apostles, they've written at the account of Jesus. So we hear God's climactic speech to the world. So we listen to him. It's a simple application this evening, isn't it? Listen to the Son. If you're here this evening and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, perhaps you're seeking We'll know that we're not here trying to find our way to God. We thoroughly believe God has come to us. He has spoken first. He has sent his son, Jesus Christ, a man who lived 2,000 years ago, and he wasn't just a carpenter's son, but was actually God himself, the eternal son of God. If you want to know answers about life, death, and everything, then there's no better than the son of God. Inside of yourself, you won't find God. Nature won't show you how to know God. His word won't be found in horoscopes or crystals, not in the teaching of Buddha or Muhammad. No, God has spoken through his Son. So if you come to Jesus, you will find an amazing understanding of life. As you see Jesus as our human king, we see how the world is on a, a totally different trajectory to which you thought. You'll see a human life perfectly lived, a life of love and strength, of of service yet leadership. But we also see the agent of creation. We'll see more to this universe than society teaches us. We see a universe upheld, fashioned, designed, people created by the living God, not just matter and chance. But even more than that, we meet God himself. We come to know God personally. The God who creates, who rules, purifies and speaks. The God of love and grace. The God of power and peace. If you've, never been, a, sorry, if you've been a Christian for a while, we never graduate from this. 
But yes, as we'll, we'll see in the book of Hebrews, we can go deeper. We can move to greater knowledge of insight beyond the basics. But it's always focused on the Son. You, you can't spend your life any better than listening to God in Christ, than getting to know Jesus better. I was at a conference in the summer, and, and one moment has particularly struck me from that conference. One of the speakers, speaking to a room of, of long-time Christians, you know, some of them had been ministers uh, of the gospel for years, and he, he told them as, a, as the conclusion to his, his hour-long talk to reflect and meditate on Jesus to start and finish there, to, to spend time in the Scriptures, and especially the Gospels, reflecting and meditating on Him. We don't graduate from this. He's not a project, you know, kind of to be worked through. He's a real person to know and discover. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He's the crowning moment of God speaking to us. Now, we don't see him yet face to face, do we? But may his words capture our hearts, burn within us. May his, his presence take us to the throne room of heaven. May we grow in knowing him, glorifying him, enjoying him forever. God has spoken. It's the crowning moment. So let's listen to his son. Amen.